All righty. Okay. Ready to go here. I got my... Got me set up. Guys, it's, uh, it's always, it's, it's a great to get together as men, and especially as Iron Men, and just to be able to fellowship on these Friday mornings. Um, it's, uh, it, to me, it's just a special time. I, I love what God is doing through Iron Men. So, uh, guys, just a pleasure to, uh, to be here, and it's an honor to be able to, to uh, open up Ecclesiastes 2 with you. Let me just give you real quickly how we're going to kind of approach this month. I'm going to spend today just kind of doing an introduction uh, of Ecclesiastes 2, and then the next two Fridays, what we'll do is we'll get into the actual material, uh, the content of the chapter. But I think it's important to provide a little bit of a context and to talk a little bit about Solomon, uh, some things that we haven't really discussed about him. Um, Scotty Smith last Friday, I think, just stinking hit a home run as far as introducing us to Ecclesiastes 2. And uh, I mean, it's just, it's a really rich chapter. It's it's right it's it's kind of like Solomon picks it up right in chapter 2 verse 1, picks it up and then just runs and then he goes all the way through 12. One chapter 1 kind of is an introduction but chapter 2 really gets into the meat of it. So I'm excited about uh, being able to do this. Let's talk about uh, Solomon real quick. Um Scotty made a comment uh, last Friday. He said uh, Ecclesiastes is not a Debbie Downer. You know, guys, I hope you get that. I hope you understand that. A lot of people read Ecclesiastes and they think, man, it's just so depressing. Well, there's a, there's a reason why Solomon says what he says and the reason he says it the way he says it. You know, but if you see Ecclesiastes as simply uh, a depressing book, all you're doing is you're seeing the very surface of it. It's got a rich depth to it. And there's a purpose and a reason why Solomon states what he says. But let's talk about Solomon real quick. Solomon was a man's man, okay? He was a man of adventure. He loved... Uh, he, he loved excitement. He loved uh, risk. He loved adventure. He was not a man of war. He was a man of peace. But that didn't mean he, he didn't enjoy a life that was of extremes. Okay, he whatever he did, he did all out. Man, he was he was a go getter, no holds barred kind of guy. I mean, anybody who marries seven hundred freaking wives has got to be a guy of extremes. And if that wasn't enough. He threw in kind of icing on the cake, another 300 concubines, okay? All right? Now, in verse 8 of chapter 2, he says, And I had many concubines, the delight of a, of a man's soul, or something like that. All right? It doesn't take a freaking rocket scientist to figure that one out, okay? The delight of a man's soul. All right? What do you mean by that, Solomon? All right? Solomon is a, um, he's a transparent guy. He didn't, he didn't pull any punches. He laid it out there. He exposed his own weaknesses. Uh, and I love that about the man. I really do. In fact, the Bible is rich with um, its heroes, exposing its heroes for their weaknesses, their flaws, their warts, and everything like that. That is a message to you and I today. And I just want to kind of say uh, in that vein... Guys, we have got to be, and we've heard it time and time again, we've got to be men of integrity. We've got to be men that are trustworthy. We've got to be men that know when to zip it and when to listen, when to keep confidentiality, confidentiality. And when we do that, then we're starting to begin to open up and make, make ourselves vulnerable. And that's exactly what God has called us to do, guys. We, we're not, in, in, in Scripture, 
If you go to Genesis, the first, the first couple chapters in Genesis, it talks about the creation. And God saw it and it was good. God saw it was good. God saw it was good. God saw it was very good. And then he said, oh, ooh, it is not good. It is not good what? For man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone, okay? We have got, we need each other, okay? And we have got to be able to be vulnerable with each other. We've got to hold each other accountable. We've got to be able to say, over my dead body, am I going to let you do that, okay? We've got to be men that way. And that's kind of what Iron Man needs to do. And if we're not going, if we're not there, then we're missing the mark. We need to go there. And Solomon kind of sets an example here. (laughs) Concubines, the delight of a man's heart, all right? Thank you, Solomon. All right. So, anyway, so Solomon was a man's man. He was a man of adventure. He was a man of extremes. He was also a man of wealth. Okay, he, he had, now, it says, he states in, in Ecclesiastes 2, I had more than anybody in Jerusalem that, that lived before me. Okay, <laughs> that's kind of put, and that's kind of like uh, the most, the biggest subtlety I've ever heard. Okay, Solomon arguably could have been the richest man that has ever lived, okay? When you take into consideration the economy, inflation, all that kind of stuff, Solomon potentially could be the richest man that has ever walked this earth, okay? That's how wealthy he was, okay? No, he was not going to run out of resources. He was, also, he was also a man of freedom. He had all the freedom in the world, unrestricted freedom. He had no authority above him on this earth. What he said went. I mean, so here you go. You've got no authority telling you what to do. You've got all the freedom in the world. You've got riches that will never run out. What do you think is going to (laughs) happen? Absolutely. All right. It's going to be one big party. Life is going to be one huge party, and it is going to be corrupt. Okay. That's kind of what he did. Although he did say in verse 3, I'll say, I'll, I'll put it here. Until I could see... He's talking about going, you know, uh, testing all this, stimulating my body with wine, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. So it wasn't just like, I'm just going to go hog wild just for the sake of going hog wild. He had a mission. I want to see what is good for man to do the few days of his life. Okay? Now, we'll get into where the problem lies, but that's kind of his goal. So he sets out to kind of do that. Now, with all of that, he had two other things with him. He had his wisdom stayed with me, with him. And uh, you know, early on, uh, Solomon, God asked Solomon, said, ask what you will and I'll give it to you. And he asked for, well, wisdom. Essentially what it was was wisdom. It didn't use that word, but that's what it was. And that wisdom stayed with him. He says that in verse 3. The, my wisdom stayed with me. The second thing was Solomon had the, had the ability to write. He was a prolific writer. He wrote over 3,000 proverbs that we know of. So he could articulate. So here's what you have. You have a man who set out to basically find what is good for man to do on this earth, had all the resources in the world, had all the freedom to do whatever he wanted. He had the wisdom to be able to discern what was good, what was bad, what was evil, what was right. All right. And he also had the ability to articulate it. That's what we have, guys. That's what we have. Think back. Uh, I love to call Solomon's life. I love to look at it as the big experiment. Think back to uh, high school chemistry class, okay? I know you, you, some people quiver when they go there, okay? Chemistry is this, I mean, it's a science of the unseen. I mean, it happens at the molecular level. 
you know, you, you, you can see the results of it, but you can't see what's actually happening. But anyway, you go to chemistry class and you study chemistry. All right, you study valence electrons. You've never seen one. You never will see one, okay? But, you know, they're there, okay? You study atoms. You study molecules. You study reactions. You, you know, you study all this kind of stuff. And, you know, three-fourths of it is just complete magic, all right? But then you have this thing called a lab, all right? So you go to the lab, and what you do in the lab is you do an experiment to practice to be able to see with your eyes and work with your hands what you're studying in the classroom. Okay, so you do the lab, you do the, the you mix the solutions or whatever, you, you, you do this, and then you, and after you've seen what you've done, you've been able to experience what you've done, then you write a lab report. And the lab report is supposed to basically, in an, in an outline, what did you do, what did you see, what did you learn from what you saw? Okay, and that's that's what you know. What can I take away from this and apply to the rest of the chemistry, the rest of science, the rest of my life? What, 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 is there anything to learn from this? Okay, what did you learn, guys? Solomon's life is a life experiment. It's an experiment on life, and Ecclesiastes is the lab report. Okay, that's what we have here. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. All right, so we're going to get into it. All right, um, t- about 20 years ago, um, we, my wife and I, we were moving uh, from Omaha, Nebraska, down to San Antonio, Texas. Um, we had, I was supposed to spend my last four years of my, of my career, my Navy career, in Omaha. I was, uh, I was an advisor uh, up there, and uh, <laughs> I got to, we bought a house. I remember October 5th, we closed on the house. October 5th, 1998. October 16th, 11 days later, my wife is unpacking boxes. I'm at work. I get a phone call. Congratulations, Rick. You just screened for command. I'm like, no, you got to be kidding me. All right. I just screened, and he said, be looking for orders. <laughs> So I call my wife. She's unpacking boxes. And I said, are you sitting down? Because <laughs> uh, I got some news. And uh, anyway, so they let me stay a year. So uh, my wife stayed back. Um, I, we were in, I was in the process of moving. My wife stayed back to sell the home. Um, I was bouncing around the country going to schools for my next, my next command. And I ended up in San Antonio. I got there in February. February 2000. And uh, in and while there, I mean, I ended up finding a place to live, but I was living with my dad, who happened to be living there. I was living with my dad and his wife uh, during the time so I could find a place to live until Connie could sell the house and all, that, and all that could work its way out, and it finally did in May. But uh, So we went six months kind of uh, not without seeing each other, which is not really the kind of the way marriage is supposed to work. Um, but what you do during those times, there's, there's ways of making it work there's, and, and ways to actually make something good come out of that, and that's what I was trying to do. One of them is this, uh, I call that time Connie appreciation time because I really honestly, it's like, wow, boy, do I love her and boy, do I need her, <laughs> you know? So you, it is a, it's, it's a wife appreciation time, but also it's a time to reflect. If you take, if you take advantage of those times alone, you can kind of reflect, get, provide yourself feedback, think about what's going on, talk to God, listen. It's quiet. 
you could really listen during those times. And it's a time to recalibrate. And that's what I was trying to do. So I went to church with my, my dad and his, and his wife. And um, after church, they were talking to their friends. And I said, look, I'm just meet you at the car. I'm going to head outside. It's a beautiful day. I just want to, I'm gonna, just want to do some praying or whatever. So I went outside. And I started, uh, I started kind of doing some reflection time. And I really felt like God was really trying to say something to me. My mind went to not what I do necessarily on, on, on a daily basis, but why do I do what I do? That's where my mind went. So again, I wasn't focused on the doing. I was focused on the motivation, the inspiration behind what I do. And I started thinking about that. Why do I eat what I eat? Why do I take vacation the way I take vacation? Why do I spend the weekends the way I spend my weekends? Why do I have conversations the way I have conversations? And so I started kind of reflecting on that, and I realized for the first time I did things for pleasure. I was inspired and motivated to do what I do for the sake only of having pleasure. And I realized that about me, and I thought, wow. I, I, you know, that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of interesting. Never saw that before. But it didn't take me long to figure that out. About five minutes is all it took for me to, to just because I was thinking, I was reflecting, and I really kind of wanted to get an answer to that question. So, pleasure. Pleasure in and of itself is not a problem. God wants us to enjoy life. God wants us to find joy and to find meaning and find purpose and find fulfillment in life. He really does. But if pleasure, it does have a place. But if that place is first place, we got a problem. And that's where it was with me. Pleasure was number one. God was in my life kind of kind of as a restraining force to keep me from doing something really, really stupid. I did enough stupid, all right? But God was there to kind of prevent me from really going stupid. So pleasure was my God, and God was my safety net. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 1. Here's Solomon. I said to myself, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. And behold, it too was futility. That's what Solomon set out to do. He set out to find pleasure in life. Okay? Now, I thought as, as I was reading through this and to provide a little bit of a context, I decided, hey, I'm going to look and find out what do people today. Just I thought maybe you, you guys might be interested in this. I know I was interested in I want to find out, you know, there's so much writing out there. There's so many surveys and all this kind of stuff. What do people really want out of life? Okay? So I decided to do a little bit of reading and uh, to do some research. So I read some periodicals. Um, let me, let me, let me, uh, come on. Let me uh, open up my laptop here. And um, I, I want to read to you um, what, uh, what these articles said about what people want in life. Okay? Number one, clearly, was pleasure. Okay, that was kind of across the board. That was kind of what people sought. And then after that, it, it, it kind of it was a hit or miss thing. Uh, there were some things that were kind of different terminology. I kind of put them all together. But here's kind of what people seek in life. Okay, uh, thrills, adventure. Okay, people want thrills. People want adventure. Hey, <laughs> I can go for that. 
If you want to go whitewater rafting, give me a call only if it's a five or a five plus. You know, I go for it, man. I go for it wild. Money. People want money. That's a big surprise. Um, I will tell you this, though. That one's not my issue. And I kind of tell you why that's not my issue. Um, I kind of I've learned I've got issues, <laughs> I've got things I deal with, but money's not, money's not not really a problem with me. Um, I realized as as I started kind of getting more money than kind of what I needed um, that I wasted it, and it uh, it just it started to own me before I owned it. I mean, it, it's really kind of what it it came about. I want to read you Proverbs thirty verses seven through nine. I love love. Love these verses. This is the the words of Agur. He said, Two things I ask of thee. Do not refuse me before I die. One, keep deception and lies far from me. Number two, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be in want and still and profane the name of my God. I absolutely love those verses. And this is and the reason I even share these with you, this is exactly what Solomon did. Solomon had all the wealth in the world that a man could ever own. And what ended up happening? He forgot God. That's what ended up happening. He started seeking the meaning of life to find what is good for man apart from God because he'd totally forgotten about God. All he did, he found it in pleasure. He thought, this must be it, pleasure. And so he went hog wild in seeking pleasure, trying to find meaning and purpose and good in life apart from God because he forgot. So that's what ended up happening with Solomon. So anyway, so pleasure, there's uh, adventures, there's thrills, money, fame, and title. People want a name. People want to be recognized. They want to be considered valuable. Love, relationships, sex, not to be lonely. Okay? I think the men responded with sex. I think the women responded not to be lonely, I think, on that one. Okay? But anyway, that's, uh, that's a, God created us with a desire to be loved. And we'll talk about that in just a second. More time. People want more time. People want health. People want to be better looking. I think there's a lot of people in this room on that one. Okay. People want comfort. <laughs> people want safety. I get these. I do. I get these. That's pretty much kind of where, I mean, it, it was, there, there was hit and miss. And there was a couple onesies, twosies. But that was kind of the dominant uh, force there. And then also, I uh, went to, as I was reading that, I went through and I read a marketing article because it kind of came up with it too. And I read through it. It didn't really add any contributions to this other than two things. One, it said in marketing, people <laughs> market because they find out what people want, you know. So I thought this would be interesting. So one, one conclusion they have, people care more about themselves than they do their company or anybody else. They care more about themselves. Big surprise. The selfishness of man coming through. The second thing I thought was very interesting. second thing this article said was people make decisions out of emotion and then justify it with logic. And you look at what people try to try to seek in life. A lot of it is to fulfill an emotion. People buy People purchase out of emotion, and then they turn around and try to rationalize it, okay? Dangerous. 
dangerous. Okay? But I think I thought that's kind of interesting. But all in all, really, what is it people are really looking for? One, people are looking for hope. I want hope. Okay? Christ, 1 Peter 1, is our living hope. Christ is our living hope. People want money. People want security to try to give themselves hope. It's found in Christ. Secondly, people want freedom. People want to be free. Okay? Galatians 5, verse 1. I love this verse. Galatians 5, 1. It is for freedom that Christ set you free. He set you free so that you could be free. Okay? That's what He wants in you. Therefore, stand firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. So Christ wants you to be free. Again, drop down to verse 13. He says, Brothers, you were called to freedom. Only, here's the guardrail, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So God gives it. He wants us to be free, but he provides the guardrails in there in Scripture to tell us, okay, here's your freedom. Here's where it's found. God wants you to be loved. God wants you to be experienced love. Okay? He gives you relationships. Man shall not be alone. He does not want man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. He wants you in relationships. What do we want to be? We want to be independent. But I'm telling you, we can't be independent. That's dangerous. We need to be interdependent. That's God's call in our life. And that's why Iron Man is here, okay, guys, so that we can learn to be interdependent, okay? So pretty much that kind of sums up the context and the summary of chapter 2. We'll get into the meat of it uh, in the next couple, sun, uh, next couple Fridays, okay? But uh, that kind of wraps it up. And um, 